Lots of people make the claim that our body has a spirit, or chi, prana, ki, life force, consciousness, or it's that our spirit has a body or something. We all know what the body side of the experience is like. You see things, you hear things, you feel things. Does our spirit or life force do that too? Can a spirit smell something? Or is it only through the body? Interacting with objects through our senses is really the foundation of conscious experience on a physical level. Is spiritual experience similar? But also, why even ask a question like that? Is it just obscure metaphysical trivia? Or does learning about our spiritual senses give us an advantage as we navigate life in this physical world as well? Swedenborg makes the interesting claim that our mind is our spirit and that it's expansive. We're going to take a look and dig into these ideas tonight. Stay tuned. Welcome back. It's another episode of Swedenborg in Life. Really glad you're joining us. If you're watching in London and it's two in the morning, really appreciate you making the time. Hopefully you won't regret it. My name is Curtis. I'm the host. I'm with Swedenborg Foundation, which is a nonprofit that works to get Swedenborg's ideas out. That's what we're going to do today. If you have questions and comments, you want to get your own ideas out, be your own little nonprofit, write them in. We'll get to at the end of the show. We'll have a live Q&A. All right, today we're talking about the spiritual body and the physical body and the sensory input to each and how they interact. It should be cool, and I think we need to start just with the basics of what is the body, what is the soul, and we're going to do that in part one. begin talking about the sensory level of things, or the level of sensory experience, and I want to first get Swedenborg's definition of what that is, because he'll often have a specific slant on a topic, and here he brings it up in a particular way. So we're going to crack open books, that's what we do in this show, and our first one is True Christianity 565. All of these references are Swedenborg's books, you can click these, download them all for free, courtesy of the Swedenborg Foundation. Let's see if we can find anything good in here. Sensory is a term for the lowest level of life within the human mind. It clings and is closely joined to the five senses of the human body. So we've got the senses, but also the life, the consciousness that is associated with them. But further from Secrets of Heaven 5077, there are five outer bodily senses, which are sight, hearing, smell, taste, and touch. Aren't you glad you tuned in? You learned things like this? People know this. Oh, right. And they also know that these senses constitute all the living energy of the body. Without these senses, the body is not at all alive, so it dies and becomes a corpse when deprived of them. This means that our actual physical part exists simply to receive sensation and consequently to receive the life yielded by sensation. And there I think we've stepped into our first um, claim, non-self-evident claim. There he is saying that if we were deprived of our senses, we would be deprived of life. And you actually, which isn't something you'd think of, but there actually is a little bit of modern research that that points in that direction. So here, for sort of a more current take on the sensory level, we have our friend Dr. Edward Higgins, and he is going to talk a little bit about sensory input and about some research that seems to point in that direction as well, uh, that when you start pulling the senses out of us, bad things happen. I would think of all five senses as our contact point. Like This is where we bring in information from our environment. It's 
pretty basic when it first comes in, but then we process everything. If, if I don't have that information, if I think about a little child, they, they can sense hot, but they don't know yet hot is dangerous. We, we teach, so that's the processing part. I can see a rhinoceros charging at me. I don't know until I figure out that it's dangerous, that it's dangerous. So we, we bring in all this information that we then process. Um, several studies, one really big study back in the 1950s, Princeton University scientists did a thing where they, they took student volunteers and put them in sensory deprivation. And in a relatively short time, people, people had all kinds of hallucinations, visual, auditory, tactile hallucinations. Their intellect went down, their, their personalities changed dramatically. People have psychotic breaks without having input coming in constantly. So we are constantly bringing in and then processing all this different information. Which is fascinating. I had never heard of that before, that if you deprive people, people who are used to having their senses operational, you pull those away really quickly, it starts to go downhill. And luckily they stop those trials, but I don't know what it would do if you if you kept that up. So we're on the subject of these senses. I want to talk, have Ed talk a little bit more about how the senses work and actually some of the processing that goes on with sensory input. So here he is again. If you think about it almost like a little mechanical system, we have sensors everywhere. Skin touch sensors, we have taste, vision, smell, so on. All these different sensors. They're, they're sending simple electrical impulses to the central nervous system, the brain. That's, that's where the action is. So one electrical impulse doesn't look any different than another. So one one little action potential, it's called, a little little change in a voltage, comes from either, say, me touching something pointy or me tasting grapes. My brain knows, all right, it, it doesn't sense a different level of electricity, but it knows where it came from. So that, that little electrical voltage change, oh yeah, that one means that's sharp because it, it knows that that impulse came from a touch sensor. It knows, ooh, that tastes sweet. It, it knows that's a taste sensor. Same mechanical thing happens. So sensing, the actual sensation is really basic, primordial. We then process that and figure out what, what does this mean? Is it something that is good for me? I, I see so much of it as we're figuring out good, bad. You know, taste something sweet. You taste something bitter. If you go back, a lot of plants, poisonous plants have a very bitter taste, alkaloids, it's a, a very specific chemical family that we sense as bitter, that's poison. That's, so I don't, I don't like bitter stuff. The sweet stuff, not, not that bad for us, not too much of it maybe, but you know, we've then figured out, we make the association. The actual sensation is, is very generic. We have to then add the interpretation part to it. It's all the same thing. It's, it's about how you process it how you process those signals. Hold that in mind. We're actually going to get back to that a little bit later on in the show. But So we've got our sensory level. we got what Swedenborg said about senses. We've got uh, what, uh, what modern science is saying about senses. we got that box checked. Now we've got to take a look at this spirit and body thing. We turn to Divine Love and Wisdom 386. A person's mind is his spirit. And the spirit is the person, the body being the outward instrument by which the mind or spirit senses and acts in the physical world. Uh, Let me read the second one, then I'll make a comment that's really wise. Our soul or spirit is our inner part, and our body is our outer part. So 
there you have two things. One is he's using soul and spirit interchangeably there. I know that some people want to split hairs about that, what's the soul, what's the spirit. Here, we're just talking about the this, this spiritual part of you, the non-physical part of you. He, so he says, he also says there that the mind is the spirit. So you're, the part of you that's watching this show is your spirit. It's using the physical body as a machine, but consciousness is spiritual. And that's not everybody's definition of it, but that's Swedenborg's definition. So thought it was worth bringing up, and that's the definition we're going to be working from as we explore this. But not only that, there's a spirit in the body. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty common concept, but actually there's a spirit in every, there's our spirit in every part of the body, every little part of the body. And this is a clip from Swedenborg's Secrets of Heaven 4659, where he describes a little further the intimacy of that union. People who do not understand what the situation is with a person's spirit and body might suppose that this means the spirit dwells inside the body, and the body more or less envelops and clothes it. It needs to be known, though, that our spirit is in our body, in the whole and in every part of it. It is our purer substance, in both our motor and our sensory organs and everywhere else. Our body is the matter attached to it at every point and suited to the world in which we now are. That is what I mean by saying that a human being is a spirit, that the body serves as a tool for useful activity in the world that the spirit is our inner part, and the body is our outer part. These comments also show that after death, we have a similar life of action and sensation, and that we are in a human shape, as in the world, but a more perfect one. In case that didn't make it totally clear, we are going to clear it up using another, that was a video, we're going to use another piece of high technology to kind of push this idea forward, and we have ourselves a bowl here, which uh, we've labeled with tape. Uh, and so a lot of people will say it's like, here's the body and the spirit is the water in there, right? Like the body is somehow holding the spirit. But let's, let's put that on hold because this is different than what Swedenborg says. Let's agree that this water is the spirit, right? But what he's saying is the body is like this. You got this little thing. Without the spirit, it's just a dried up piece of matter. Doesn't really do anything. But a body with spirit inside it, that's where this is the kind of union it is. There's water in every part of this sponge, right? There's every little part of every shape of it, every little pocket is saturated with water. And when I lift it out of the bowl like this, you got water now above the bowl, and it's in the exact shape of the sponge because of the shape of the sponge. Does that make sense? We're going to clarify it even more with a quote. And the way that it works is because the structure of the sponge is what it is, there's this water that is what it is. It's actually sort of the reverse with the spirit. Because of how the spirit is and it's joining to the physical body, it gains its shape here. So this is a clip. This is a clip from Swedenborg's experience where he was in uh, getting to witness sort of like um, what's like auditing a spiritual education course. Like he was in the afterlife. There was an angel teacher who was talking to this group of students, teaching them what the soul or spirit is like. So we're walking in now in the middle of his lecture. This is from True Christianity 697. Surely everyone believes the soul is the inmost and subtlest essence within us. But what is an essence without a form? It's a figment of the imagination. 
Therefore, the soul is a form. Let me say what kind of form it is. It is the form of all the components of love and all the components of wisdom. All the components of love are called desires. All the components of wisdom are called perceptions. These perceptions come from these desires. Therefore, they come together as a single form. Within that form, there are countless individual things, but the design, arrangement, and close interaction of them allow them to be referred to as one thing. They can be called one thing because nothing can be taken away and nothing can be added without turning the whole into something different than it is. What else is the human soul but a form like this? All the components of love and all the components of wisdom are the essential elements of this form. In human beings, these components are present in the soul and the soul makes them present in the head and the body. You are called spirits and angels. In the world, you believe that spirits and angels were like pieces of wind or ether and were therefore just higher or lower minds. Now, of course, you see clearly that you are truly, really, and actually human beings who used to live and think inside a physical body in the material world. You knew then that the physical body has no life or thought. There was a spiritual substance that lived and thought within the body. You called this the soul. You did not know what form it took, however, but now you have seen your soul and you are seeing it right now. You yourselves are all souls. You yourselves are the souls about whose immortality you have heard and thought and said and written such a great deal. Because you are forms of love and wisdom from God to eternity, you can never die. Therefore, the soul is the human form. Nothing can be taken away from it and nothing can be added to it. The soul is the inmost form of all the forms throughout the entire body. And because the forms that lie outside draw both their essence and their form from what lies within. Therefore, you are souls just the way you appear to yourselves and to us right now. Briefly put, the soul is the real person because it is the deepest self. Therefore, its form is fully and perfectly human. It is not, however, life. It is a nearby vessel that receives life from God and is therefore a dwelling place for God. And nowadays, the concept of a person shaped spirit is pretty common. A lot of that is thanks to, I would say, near-death experiences, things like that, where I saw my grandma, she looked younger, she looked like a person, nobody really bats an eye at that. But in Swedenborg's day, and, and still there's a good number of people these days, when they're talking about soul or spirit, just picture something, just like a little ball or a breath of air or something like that. But Swedenborg is saying that that, that form, the human form, is actually the form of a person, and actually that our body is its, is its shape because of our spirit, which is in the same form. And that's, that's key to our show, because we're looking at senses, that our spiritual body has organs of sense, sight, taste, touch, those kinds of things, just like our physical body does. And that spirit 
that spirit in the human form is the conscious part of you, and it's active right now. And so I might, you know, now I'm saying the spirits in the human form, there might be people out there who are saying, but wait, I heard this story of, or I had this experience where there was something else than a human form that was talking to me and seemed like a person. As with everything in Swedenborg, it's like, this is how it is, but it's also like this. And we're going to show you, there's a couple areas where he says, these are other ways people can appear. It's not always the human form. So here's actually a clip from our episode, Spiritual Light, which where uh, Stuart, one of our producers, is reading uh, Swedenborg, and he's talking about the different ways that people can appear. Spirits can be distinguished from one another when it pleases the Lord by their appearance as fire or stars, little ones. The ones whose reasonings have been darkened by false ideas appear to others as red fires, those who are even more darkened by falsity as coal fires, those still more as a kind of fire that has a sickening look, so sad as to strike others with sorrow. Spirits, however, whose faith involves true ideas, that is, who are led by the Lord, appear as bright little stars in the celestial hemisphere. They have appeared to me at times that way, and so they appeared today to spirits, just from that appearance, we could tell where they were and what they were like. They also spoke with me. You can tell what they were like. Appearances in the spiritual world all have meaning. It's not just like, oh, I want to look like stars, so I'll do this cool. I'll look like these stars because they're cool. It is revealing inner characteristics. All those appearances of spirits tell you something about what kind of person they are. Uh, so you, you can encounter people who look like that, although if you got them in the, the light of heaven, saw them as they really are, you would see their, their, their person form. There's not just those, there's many other appearances uh, that, that Swedenborg has, so many we're going to put them in a split screen for you. Boom. Okay, angels can look like children, groups of angels can look like one person from a distance, a group of angels could look like a bright cloud, husband and wife appear like one angel, people can look like horses and chariots, good, good spirits like stars, evil spirits like coal or smoke from a furnace. And finally, Secrets of Heaven 7175, he's talking about a group of spirits who wanted to appear in a particular way. He said, when they enter the next life and become spirits, they do not wish to appear as people, but as globes made of crystal. The reason why they wish to look like this is in order that they may banish material ideas from themselves. And he goes on to say that crystal and that kind of form has a symbolism of banishing material ideas. So there are differences in the way people are perceived, and depending on how you know the level of, of wisdom or recognition you have, you can see things differently. So that is what's going on with appearance. So we have this general, though, that, that the human form is across all spiritual input, that there, we have the same kind of functioning organs that bodies do. So let's take a look at how those spiritual versions of those organs work in part two. All right, we're going to begin uh, with, a, with a number. I don't know if you guys can hear it, probably not. There's like some traffic going by with some sirens. It's, it's the middle of an ice storm around here, so hopefully everyone's okay and in, in good shape. Um, we are going to continue to deliver the news to you guys because that's what we do. Secrets of Heaven 10199. Uh, and we, when we get this high, we call it Arcana Celestia because the new translation 
in which it's translated Secrets of Heaven hasn't gotten that high yet. So that's why we've got that special title for you. That's the Latin title that Swedenborg worked with. Every reception of impressions by the outward senses begins in reception by the inward senses, which belong to the understanding and will, and so begins within the person in the truths of faith and the good of love, since these constitute the understanding and will within the human mind. Big sentence to start out there. We're looking at how these inner senses work, and the will and understanding, that's thoughts and feelings, that's the two main faculties of the human mind. Yet inward sensations, which belong properly to a person's understanding and will, do not feel the same as the outward ones, though they are turned into outward sensations when they flow in. For all the perceptions that a person receives by means of his outward sensory organs flow from inward powers of mind. The path all influx takes is from inward things to outward ones, not from outward to inward, since there is no such thing as physical influx, that is, influx from the natural world into the spiritual world, only influx from the spiritual world into the natural. A person's inner powers, which belong properly to understanding and will, exist in the spiritual world and his outward ones, which belong properly to the bodily senses, exist in the natural world. A lot of words, what it's saying essentially is, it's not, the physical doesn't come in and affect the spiritual, the spiritual affects the physical. And that is a little bit hard to understand, because if we're saying that the conscious part of us, and we are saying this, the conscious part of us is our spirit, it sure seems like it's being affected by physical things. You know, we look around, I'm seeing things, that's affecting what I'm thinking about, hearing things, that affects... So how is it that it's actually the spiritual acting on the physical and not the other way around? We're going to show you a couple of examples. We're going to begin with, this was way back, we did an episode called Spiritual Physics, and we had an interview with Dr. Ian Thompson, who is a physicist, who was looking at this problem uh, from a, a physics angle. So here's what he had to say. The mental life generates processes in the physical life, but what happens in the physical life selects what further processes happen in the mental life. So there's, there are discrete degrees, sweet, that's a, a technical term Swedenborg uses, in which, when I, and I summarize this as multiple generative levels, and to go down you have generation, but the, the later degrees select what further causes can operate. This is like a the physical world is like a cap on the possibilities that the spiritual world brings in. If that's not if that's not quite doing it for you, we have some other examples of how what who we are in our consciousness can affect what we see. We're not going to talk about it, but you know what this is. So don't say which one you see, but that you got the same physical thing, people seeing it different ways. However, that's not our focus here. We just want to throw it in. This is, a, this is especially interesting when you approach it from a psychological perspective, this idea that it's actually the conscious part of you affecting the physical, thing, the, the physical input you get, not the other way around. And so here we have a psychologist, Dr. Erica Hyatt, who's going to talk a little bit about how it actually, who you are, what you think about, what you expect, can actually affect what you see. Interestingly enough, and this seems counterintuitive, what you expect to see might actually color your reality. So we often say in psychology that reality is subjective. There's the objective, things that are concrete, that everyone knows to be true. I'm sitting in a chair, I'm wearing clothes, I have glasses. But then as we go about our day, 
There are things that color our reality, our expectations. We focus on what we expect to see and what we want to focus on. And that might mean that we miss a whole lot of what's going on in our environment. Don't believe us? Take a look at this picture and see if you see anything wrong with these lungs. I mean, look around. Is there any... We're looking... You know, these were sent to a bunch of radiologists who are looking for cancer. So see if you can see anything. I'll give you three, two, one. It looked pretty good. Okay. Did you notice the gorilla? He's right there. Uh, he was sitting there the whole time. And if you did notice it, you're pretty smart. But if you didn't, that's okay. We got this from an article. This was a study that was done. This particular article is, we got at NPR.org. If you didn't see that gorilla, that's fine, because of trained radiologists this much, or this many, 83% of them did not see that gorilla. This image was sent to them to say, look this over carefully, see if you see any cancerous stuff in there. And they didn't see the gorilla because, and what the study concludes is that they were so accustomed to just looking for one thing in lung scans, they weren't at all expecting to see a gorilla, so their mind just didn't register it. It just phased it out. So there you have the physical thing is there, but it's actually the internal, the, the spiritual conscious part of you is affecting what you pull out of the physical. So there's a few modern thoughts on that. We're talking about the inner senses. I mean, that was a little caveat. We're talking about the inner senses, the senses of the Spirit. So let's get a straightforward definition. What are these inner senses? This is Secrets of Heaven 5077. Our outer senses relate to our inner senses, and in general, to our intellect and will. So back to this dual part of consciousness. Some of our outer senses are therefore under the command and control of our intellectual part, and some under our volitional part. Intellectual part being thoughts, volitional part being feelings. The main sense under the control of our intellectual part is sight. Hearing comes under our intellectual part and secondarily under our will part. Smell is subject to both and taste even more so, but touch comes under the will part. So touch and feelings are linked, obviously. A great deal of evidence can show that the outer senses are under the control of these parts and can show how they come under that control, but broadening the explanation to include it would take too long. He's already writing 27 volumes. He ain't got no time to expand that to 30. Um, so this is sort of this is an important point in the show. We're telling you that your spirit has your spirit is in the same form as your body. So if it is, it's got all the same capacity for sensing things that your body is, because it's the form of the body, it's the form of the eye that lets light in, so the spirit has form as well, and because it has that form, it has senses. However, it's in the spiritual world, so things work differently there, but we are using our spiritual senses now. You have used them, you may not even realize that you are, and I'm going to explain them sense by sense here, so you get a sense of what I'm talking about. This first one is hearing. And oh, this is all from Secrets of Heaven 10199, in case you want to look that up. Hearing corresponds to perception of the good of faith and to obedience, meaning we hear things on a physical level. The spiritual conscious level that is analogous to that is to perceive, to understand higher truths and, and obey them. That if, you're, if you do that, that means you heard them spiritually. And you get that, like, if you say, I hear you to someone, that means I, I agree, you know, or at least I, I, um, I give credence to what you're saying. Moving on to the next one, smell. In general, smell corresponds to perception of some reality as determined by the essential nature of the matter that is being perceived. 
in the Spirit, we did this show called uh, The Nature of Auras, where it talks about this, but in the Spirit, in the spiritual world, you can tell what kind of person someone is morally by how they smell spiritually. Here, we are. if you can, if you can get... You know, once you got all the information, or somehow you get a sense of what a person is like, that sensing what someone is like, you know, oh, this this is this kind of person, this is that kind of person, that's spiritual smell. Just like you can look at food, but you don't know for sure, has this gone bad yet? I don't know, I bought it two and a half weeks ago, but I haven't opened it, is it bad? If you can't see, you smell, and that's how you tell. And that with spiritual smell, it's being able to tell the character of a person or of an action. If if you can tell, no, this is not the right thing to do, that's your spiritual nose working, or so says Swedenborg. Next one. Taste corresponds to perception and the desire to know and become wise. So if when you're enjoying learning something, that's your spiritual taste buds. And this goes even farther because Swedenborg says, in, in spirit, the thing that makes our spirits grow is knowledge. And that if spirit is consciousness, certainly knowledge is what takes you from being very, very low functioning up higher and higher as we grow into adults. And Swedenborg says that continues on in the spirit. So the spiritual food is knowledge and the enjoyment in learning. If you're ever excited about learning something, maybe you've never had that experience, maybe you have, that's that's like you're tasting something good with your spirit. Are these starting to make sense? I hope so. Next one. Touch means imparting, conveying, and being received. We have this in our language. If you say, if you say, and you would never say that about this show, but let's just say you said, oh, that episode of the show really touched me. That means it affected you. That means there were, the meaning was conveyed and received. So we know that you, it was touching when you did that for me. That, that is your spiritual sense of touch. That I mean, it doesn't matter whether or not the person touched you physically, spiritually, you were touched. All right? And then finally, sight. Sight corresponds to an understanding of the truths of faith. So we, we've done shows about this. You say, I see. I see what you mean. That means you grasp the whole situation. Somebody who has a lot of spiritual sight is someone who can fully understand a situation. And this one happens to lead us to a question that I get a lot, which is, why is your channel named Off the Left Eye? What's that all about? We're going to lay it out here. You'll know once and for all. It has to do with a spiritual sense of sight. It actually comes from a story that is told in two places in Swedenborg's writings, Secrets of Heaven 183 and Heaven and Hell 450. We'll look at the Heaven and Hell 450. It was This is part of a story where Swedenborg is being shown what it's like to be revived from death. He was having sort of a near-death experience, but conscious enough to let it uh, to, to be able to record it all. He said, then he, he's, he's died, he's being woken up, and he's almost being ready to be given his spiritual sight. And he says, the angels appeared to roll off, as it were, a coat from the left eye toward the bridge of the nose, that the eye might be opened and enabled to see. So there you have something being rolled off the left eye, and that is how he gained this spiritual sight. And it goes even, there's even a little more symbolism in there. If you look at the the left eye, and we used to play this animation, which is a covering, he also writes that in Secrets of Heaven 2701, the left eye is the understanding part of the mind, whereas the right eye is its affection. Left and right, every part of the body has these meanings to it. So if you look at the left eye, this is like the intellectual side. This is a learning 
your spiritual sense of taste is in that, and that's what we're doing in this channel, is trying to convey information for the purpose of learning. The right eye, or the right side, that's the emotional, the doing part, and the idea is we can give you the left eye side, we can give you the thoughts, you take them, you do the right eye, you apply them to life, and hopefully go out, do things with them that make life better for people. Does that make sense? That is where the channel got its name. So we're talking about these inner senses, we've explained a bit of what they are, now let's talk a little bit in the next section about why we're glad we have them and what they can be used for. Let's take a look at part three. One thing that is nice about the inner senses that makes them sort of worth having is that they make us human. And how they do this is explained by Swedenborg. This is from Secrets of Heaven 4009. Our earthly dimension communicates on one side with the senses, which belong to the body, and on the other side with reasoned thinking, which belongs to the rational mind. Through this middle ground, we make a kind of ascent from the body's senses, which open towards the world, to the rational mind's thinking, which opens towards heaven. We also make a descent from the latter, that is, from heaven to the world. This happens only in people. That's part of the job that people have, is that we can, because of the way we are, we are rational, um, you know, as opposed to trees or something, we can think uh, above the senses about these higher things, rationalize them, bring them, that, that up and down connection is the part we play in sort of the grand spiritual ecosystem. You know, we have to connect, we're part of the mechanism that's connecting these two worlds because we can have these physical senses and spiritual senses and get them to relate to each other. In case that's not good enough for you, our spiritual senses are also how we receive divine love and wisdom. And Swedenborg describes this in Secrets of Heaven. He says, in 6843, we cannot approach the deity with our body the way we can approach other people, only with our mind, and therefore in thought and will. There is no other route to the deity because divinity transcends the realm of space and time. In us, divinity is present in what are called states, specifically states of love and states of faith, and therefore states of the two mental faculties of will and thought. These are the means by which we can approach the deity. People are not aware of this because they do not realize that their inner levels are distinct from their outer levels, or that some thoughts go deeper and deeper and some shallower. Since they do not know any of this, they cannot reflect on it. And the problem that people have is they're looking to see God with the physical senses. I want to see a shape, I want to hear a voice, I, you know, I want to feel a high five from God or something like that. But Swedenborg is saying it's those inner senses, the one we described in the joy of learning, in the ability to feel meaning be conveyed from one person to another, in hearing and perceiving truths, that is where we're approaching God. And our spiritual senses are not that developed yet, we're still working on them, but that is the, the approach to God. And they also create this pathway that Swedenborg talks about, the Secrets of Heaven 5580. He says, facts known to the Church, facts that serve the Church in its outward form, Church being the part of you that, that can connect with God, this is the Swedenborgian definition, introduce us to religious truth as the enter, entryway into a house, because they are what first greet our senses and consequently opens the way to deeper knowledge. So we learn these sort of external 
uh, truths or, or articles of faith or, or spirituality. As is recognized, the evidence of our outer senses is unlocked first, then the evidence of our inner senses, and finally the thoughts in our intellect. When these last have been unlocked, we see them reflected in the evidence of our senses, where they can be grasped. The reason for this chain of events is that the thoughts in our intellect develop out of sensory information by being distilled from it. They are conclusions we draw, and when we have drawn them, they detach from the sensory information and soar aloft. What accomplishes this is the influence of spiritual forces coming by way of heaven from the Lord. These remarks show how it is that truths develop out of facts. And you can think about it like tree roots, that the, the factual part of our mind is like the roots in the ground, and then we can rise up out of it like that. That may be a little bit confusing, what's he talking about? We'll try to break it down here with a few examples. Um, you know, the, the senses can gather facts, we can look at things and how they interact, and from that we can form concepts, which we then can understand things better by. For example, metaphors. A metaphor is a great way to understand something. You're looking at a smaller model of it to understand a larger concept. That is correspondences that we talk about all the time on this show. You're looking at physical things to have spiritual things, uh, to, to start to understand the mystery of spiritual things. And this, was a, and this is a process that, that happens through the senses into us. You know, we to be able to form concepts, you first have to read words or hear words being spoken to you. You know, that is how we learn. However, not everybody learns through sight and hearing. What if you didn't have either? There's a very famous person who didn't. Her name is Helen Keller. She, for what it's worth, was an avid Swedenborgian. She wrote this biography about how um, Swedenborg was the coolest thing in the world. So uh, I thought it's fitting to tell a little bit of her story. Here you see first her learning these concepts this is a this is a clip from a documentary that the Swedenborg Foundation actually made where she, this is the part where she's learning about words and thoughts even though she couldn't learn about them through sight and hearing this is about the moment when she first got that connection from her uh, her sense of touch into her sense of of thought week after week the gifted and patient Annie Sullivan put objects in Helen's hands and spelled their names into her palm despite no visible signs of success. Helen appeared unable to make any mental connection between the two actions. It is almost as if the absence of language had caused an inability to code events or order them or remember them subsequently. The difficulties facing someone who is deaf and blind, of course, are enormous. Finally, after more than a month of working with her unruly student, Annie succeeded in reaching Helen's mind. As the family pump gushed forth water onto Helen's hand, Annie simultaneously spelled into it W-A-T-E-R and facilitated a connection in Helen's consciousness between object and sign. I stood still, my whole body's attention fixed on the motions of her fingers as the cool stream flowed over my hand. All at once, there was a strange stir within me, a misty consciousness, a sense of something forgotten, a thrill of returning thought, and somehow the mystery of language was revealed to me. Everything had a name, and each name gave birth to a new thought. After this revelation of words and meanings, she learned th to fingerspell 30 words that first day, and became ravenous to learn the name of everything around her, including Annie, 
who became the generic name teacher. Delicious sensations rippled through me and sweet strange things that were locked up in my heart began to sing. A ray of light from another soul touched the darkness of my mind and I awoke to the joy and beauty of life. And here we're going to see this progression with her from first of all being able to develop these outer senses once that sense of touch kicked in in a way that she could make meaning out of those symbols this whole world opened up for her in terms of knowledge. In this next clip, we're going to see how it was after she gained that knowledge that she started to get this insight into these higher spiritual things through the things she had learned with her sense of, sense of touch. So here's part two. Helen had an experience when she was around 12 years old. She was sitting in her library at home, quietly reading a history book, and suddenly she had what she perceived to be an out-of-body experience. She felt as though her soul had been in Athens. In that moment, she realized that in the sense of touch, she had found an eye and that her soul was independent of time and place. The bright, amazing realization seemed to catch my mind and set it ablaze. Space was nothing to spirit. I perceived the realness of my soul and its sheer independence of all conditions of place and body. It was clear to me that it was because I was a spirit that I had so vividly seen and felt a place thousands of miles away. In that new consciousness shone the presence of God, himself a spirit everywhere at once, the creator dwelling in all the universe simultaneously. I never again doubted that there is a spiritual body within my own imperfect one. And within a few dark years, the eyes within my eyes would open to a world infinitely more wonderful, complete, and satisfying than this. I let myself go and tried to puzzle out the long words and weighty thoughts of the Swedish seer. So there she is using her inner senses and she got it initially through these outer senses she had to make that progression does that make sense if not one more example gardening if you are gardening which i've done a little bit in my day and you happen to know a little bit about swedenborg and maybe if you don't you'd come across these same concepts but he said swedenborg was a gardener too and he said that the garden is corresponds to the human mind the things that are growing in there are like the ideas, the thoughts, the feelings that grow in us. With that in mind, when I am trying to manage a piece of land and get it to do something productive, you suddenly get all these insights from the physical activity. When you see how hard it is to get certain roots out, you think about tendencies in yourself that are rooted deeply. When you see two plants and you're not sure which was the one I planted, you see that it's hard to make this distinction between what's helpful and what's harmful. There's all kinds of insights you can start to get if you have that direction. And But if you were just kind of contemplating the mind, you wouldn't have that. You need this physical primer, this activity of looking at plants and the way they are and the way that growth happens, that gets you a lot more insights. So that is the cooperation of the outer and the inner senses. And Swedenborg says that's the way our mind was meant to work. That's how we were supposed to have this linkage between the spiritual and physical world. All right, let's take a look now, part four, at something we're going to call the outward flow.
And this section is where we're going to get to be a little bit of a downer. I mean, this is where we're going to talk about what it's like when this system goes wrong. True Christianity 565, so hopefully that cheers you guys up. TC 565, he's talking about sense-oriented people, because it's a major problem if we get too sense-oriented. We're going to look into what that means. Sense-oriented people are people who judge everything on the basis of their physical senses. People who will not believe anything unless they see it with their eyes, touch it with their hands. What they can see and touch they call something. Everything else they reject. The inner levels of their mind, levels that see in heaven's light, are closed to the point where they see nothing true related to heaven or the church. Their thinking occurs on an outermost level and not inside, where the light is spiritual. An example would be, we're talking before about tree roots. Let's say that if you were a plant and you only had roots, you never spread upward, you're not going to be able to photosynthesize, you're not going to survive long. You need both. Trees need to have a roots system. We need to interact with our physical senses, learn things about the physical world from them. But if we don't allow our spiritual senses or this, this, uh, this uh, deeper light, this deeper hearing to exist in us and to honor that as well, you're not going to get the kind of growth that you need. It actually brings you backwards. So an example of that could be there's this sort of fallacy of the me-centric universe, for example. If I am just looking around, I see I'm very aware of my own sensory needs. Uh, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, that looks cool, I want to go towards that. But when I see other people, you get this sense of, oh, they're just peripheral characters in this story. You know, they're not as great as I am, or they look weird, or they're stupid, or that kind of thing. Or you might somebody might have something like a like a stutter or something like that, and you immediately you see them. Oh, they're, they're not that great. However, the truth is that we found out that everybody is just as much as, as the center of the universe as everyone else. That's not just an object over there. That's a person having the same experience as you. You don't get that from the outer sensory experience. You get that from the inner senses. It's through having meaning conveyed. You know, this person tells you, this is how I feel, and you understand that's a spiritual connection. It's having your spiritual sight. It's understanding, oh, this person thinks and feels just like I do, and what what I wouldn't want to have happen to me shouldn't happen to them because it feels the same way. It's the spiritual senses that make that connection. So if we just get stuck on the physical senses, we place people in categories other than us, we devalue them. That is why it's such a problem. This whole thing is only a problem if it's out of order. And we're going to talk, Swedenborg's going to talk a little bit about this. He writes about it in Secrets of Heaven 9730, and we're going to play a little clip to illustrate further the way things can get out of whack and the impact that that has. People are called sensory, you see, if they think and crave whatever is suggested by those senses and by the appetites that go along with them without considering further. People who do consider further, who examine what their sensory level craves and what they themselves think at the inspiration of that level, are said to rise above that level, to be withdrawn from it, and to think deeply. This happens today among people devoted to the good urged by neighborly love and by faith. When it happens, their sensory plane goes still, bereft of the active life normally sparked in it by the world and by worldly objects. There are two orientations we can give to the contents of our intellect and the contents of our will. One points them in a superficial direction, toward the material world, and the other takes them deeper in, toward heaven. In people who operate on either the earthly or the sensory plane, 
The contents of their intellect and of their will, their thoughts and feelings, are oriented toward the world. In spiritual and heavenly people, those contents are oriented toward heaven and, off and on, toward the world. If we are being reborn, our orientation is hinged to open inward. The more it can then open inward, the more the Lord can lift us up towards heaven, all the way to himself, and we can be imbued with wisdom, faith, and love. After all, we are then living in our inner self and consequently in our spirit, and our outer self is subordinate to it. If we do not allow ourselves to be reborn, all our inner depths remain oriented toward the material world. We then live in our outer self, and our inner self is subordinate to it. This happens when our inner self supplies our outer self with arguments in favor of evil cravings. People like this are described as earthly, and the ones with the most intensely superficial focus are described as sensory. In the sensory, if you continue to operate in a sensory way, that's the that's the hell mindset that lends itself to love of harming other people. And Swedenborg says, in hell, you have senses, you have analogs to the physical senses, um, but that you get trapped sort of in them, or that they distort your thinking. This is Secrets of Heaven 4623. Spirits have two kinds of sensory life, real and unreal. Hell's inhabitants have just as full a range of sensation as heavens, and are utterly convinced that things really truly are just as they experience them. When they are examined by angels, though, the same things look like apparitions and disappear from sight. The inhabitants themselves look monstrous rather than human. I was given an opportunity to talk with them about it. We believe they're real because we can see and touch them, some of them said, adding, the senses don't lie. Those things are still unreal, I was allowed to answer. They're unreal because you are intent on anything that's contrary or opposed to the divine nature, which means that you're intent on evil and falsity no matter how real they seem to you. Besides, so far as you surrender to evil cravings and distorted convictions, your thoughts are nothing but hallucinations. To see anything from the viewpoint of hallucination is to see what is real as unreal, and what is unreal as real. If the Lord in His divine mercy did not grant you these sensations, you'd have no sensory life. You'd have no life at all, since sensations make all makes all life. So you, it's not that if you are in the hell mindset that you don't see anything. You you can have very vivid sensory experience, but everything. But you're you're not seeing things on an internal level. That sight is understanding, right? Spiritually. So if if you're wrapped up in evil and falsity, you don't actually understand the way things are. You don't have any spiritual sight. You don't you have an illusion that seems real, but it's not the way things actually operate. And that that is hell, is that that illusion. And we have it on a very personal level, this illusion that what what I want matters, what everyone else doesn't want doesn't matter, but that's not true, because they are you. You know, they're another person who's the center of their own consciousness. So things you do affect them, and they have just as much a right to happiness as you do. So it's it's the grand delusion of hell. So stay away from that, and if that's not enough reason to, if we get the senses in the right order and are living in a spiritually more functional, uh, pro-social way, you actually get more and deeper enjoyment out of all the senses. He says in Secrets of Heaven 5125, 
and this is sort of a way we can tell how we're how sensory we are. You can easily tell whether your senses come first or last if you pay attention. If you affirm everything your senses urge or crave and dismiss everything your intellect dictates, your senses come first. You are motivated by your appetites and are totally sense-oriented. If you do not affirm these things but see with your inner eye that they are detours into falsity and goads to evil, if you work to chasten them and reduce them to obedience, or in other words, to bring them under the control of your inner self's intellectual and volitional sides, then you are reducing your senses to order and by putting them in last place. When our senses come last, happiness and bliss from our inner self permeate our sensory pleasures and make them a thousand times better than they were before. Sense-oriented people do not understand or believe this, do not sense any other kind of pleasure, and do not think a higher kind exists. As a consequence, they regard the happiness and bliss within sensory pleasure as worthless. When we are ignorant of something, we do not believe it exists. And so in the beginning, if you remember in the very, very beginning, we were saying the sensory level is sense impressions like sight, hearing, touch, taste, but also the life that follows with them. So this bit of consciousness that's influenced by those. And Swedenborg is saying the way you really get your inner senses going is get things in the right order, is make your lowest physical sensory craving subordinate to your intellect. Meaning, I want this, is that really a good idea? Is that really just? Is that really fair? Is that really kind? If it is, go for it. If it's not, even if I want it, I'm not going to do it. That, in a nutshell, is the inner senses taking precedence over the outer senses. And case in point, send the kids out of the room, talking about sexuality. In Married Love 447, he talks about sort of the progression of sexual attraction from the lowest sensory up into this sort of higher inner sense-infused thing that leads to heaven. As regards sexual love in particular, it too at first is bodily, for it starts from the flesh. It then becomes sensual, for the five senses are delighted by sharing in it. Later it becomes natural and similar to the form it takes in animals, which is a roving sexual love. But since man is by birth destined to become spiritual, this love becomes rational natural from this spiritual, and finally spiritual natural. Then once this love has become spiritual, it influences and acts on rational love, and through this on sensual love, and through this finally on this love in the body and the flesh. Since the flesh is its lowest level, it acts upon it spiritually, at the same time rationally and sensually. When a person is thinking about it, it influences and acts on him successively. But at the lowest level, its effects are felt all at once. Sexual love changes from natural to spiritual when a person abandons roving lusts and commits himself to one partner with whose soul he unites his own. So, just a ton of terminology, rational, natural, spiritual. These are just different levels that we go from, it's just like, oh, I want, I want, I want, to this is part of a partnership, and this is part of a spiritual union that can last. We did a whole show about this uh, last week, which was called Spiritual Marriage, if you want to look into that more in the ordering of that. Okay, bring the kids back into the room. The kids are probably like, why am I having to watch this show anyway? This is not entertaining to me. Okay, we're going to end it. Don't worry, kids. We're going to end it here with uh, Secrets of Heaven 6313 and how it's worth it to go after this ordering of the senses. And, and this is the reason we did this whole episode is to try to give you some ground here so you can get to what he's talking about here. When we rise toward deeper levels, we go from the harsh light of the senses to a gentler light. At the same time, we move beyond the reach of influences that are religiously offensive or sordid, clearer to all that is just and fair, because we move closer to the angels with us, and therefore closer to heaven's light. 
The ancients, even outside the church, knew about this elevation out of the sensory realm. As a result, their philosophers said that when the mind withdraws from sense impressions, it comes into inner light, in a state of calm and a kind of heavenly bliss. Even they, therefore, concluded that the mind was immortal. So which... Who's he talking about here? Who, who is, are these ancients that knew this? Well, we have one example uh, that, that it could be, these could be the people he's talking about, and we're going to have Chelsea from the Swedenborg Foundation explain that. So the first thing that comes to my mind when I read this passage um, are the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And the Yoga Sutras are a big root of what people now, sort of the popular idea of yoga today. The Yoga Sutras lay out the eight limbs of yoga, which are the yamas, the niyamas, asana, pranayama, pratyahara, dharana, dhyani, and samadhi. And one of these, pratyahara, talks about withdrawing the senses. The yoga sutras, they were written in um, about around the beginning of the common era. Not, people aren't entirely sure, but they are a written collection of these sutras that stem from an oral tradition that goes back thousands of years that describes these practices. And so in the second pada of the Yoga Sutras, Sutra 54, that talks about Pratyahara, says, withdrawing the senses, mind and consciousness from contact with external objects, and then drawing them inwards towards the seer is Pratyahara. So it's the same kind of concept. This pratyahara. Is he talk? Was he talking about those people in particular? We don't know, but he could have been. Okay, so resuming this quote in the middle there, we are capable of rising still deeper within than that, and the deeper we go, the brighter the light we encounter until we reach heavenly light, which is simply wisdom and understanding granted by the Lord. The three heavens are distinguished from each other only by the degree to which they rise toward inner depths and therefore by levels of light as well. The third heaven is deepest, so it has the greatest light and therefore a wisdom that far exceeds the wisdom of the lower heavens. And remember, heaven, these are levels of the mind, Sweden is talking about, that actually through these internal senses, through cultivating our love of growing wise, of understanding people, of gaining knowledge, of obeying higher principles, this is how we open our mind, this is how we enter heaven. And anything that makes you enter heaven, you know, in heaven is the mindset, you can have it here on this planet if you work these. Uh, anything that lets you enter heaven is worth knowing, so we thought we'd tell you about it. Hoped you enjoyed it tonight. If you did, like and subscribe. That helps our channel, that helps this video. Get out there, tell your friends, tell your neighbors and your enemies, and we're going to now, as I said, oh, oh, just before that, if you really liked it, feel free to donate. Uh, this is a non-profit organization. This is all run-on donations, so we very much appreciate you contributing, uh, and it's tax-deductible now that tax for next year, now that tax season is upon us. Okay, so we're going to get to your questions and comments, just like we said, on the other side of this very short video break. All right, let's do it. Uh, before we uh, get to our questions here, I thought we should check in on our body bowl. So uh, let's go to it. Ready? Three, two, one, bowl. All right. Okay. And three, two, one, back. All right. <laughs> I was just trying to give the um, 
the crew something to do there. Sorry. All right, let's get to our let's get to our questions. Uh, this is the first one. Do we eat in? <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. That's so lame. Do we eat in heaven? Seriously, I love chocolate. That is a good question for this episode because the spiritual senses. I shouldn't have done that full thing. The spiritual senses um, are uh, have to do with this sort of thing. That you, the food of the spirit is becoming wise. So the certain bits of knowledge can can taste to us like that. You know what I mean? However, Swedenborg also describes, and this is this is a one time tangent. Swedenborg does describe that you can eat food in the spiritual world. And it's not required for sustenance because knowledge is it, but you can still do it for for this reason. I love chocolate. That the pleasure there is just fine. So yes, you can eat chocolate, Suzanne. Thanks for asking. All right, next one. This is Arthur. Do you think that in the future our human senses will evolve to be more like our spiritual senses, like the physical body getting more close to the spiritual one? I think yes, because Swedenborg is constantly talking about a new church, which he... Check out our episode, The Spiritual Future of the Human Race. He's saying that there, back in the day, way back in the early part of human history, there was this connection. People, their spiritual and physical bodies were very, very close. Everything was working together, and because of that, we could actually perceive the spiritual world, and he's saying that we're working back toward that. I don't know how long it's going to take, but in the future, things will be much closer. You have some people who are already have that, where both sets of senses seem to be working together, but I think the human race, according to Swedenborg, is drawing towards that. All right, let's look at the next one. This is Robin... Is perpetual pain in the physical body related to the spirit? Is it an indication of a spiritual defect? I don't think so. Um, Swedenborg would report pain from spiritual sources, but he said that that was only once he had his spiritual senses activated. That that you know somebody like me who's just in the I got physical senses activated, I wouldn't necessarily feel pain from a spiritual source. You know that that uh, it's it's more about the physical form being disrupted. I certainly wouldn't say that people who have perpetual pain in the body have something spiritually wrong with them. I mean, I, it seems to me that you can be a, doesn't matter how nice of a person, how well, how healthy your spirit is, if something's wrong in the physical, you're going to feel it. So I would say no, um, that that it's it's probably a physical thing, and it's certainly not like somebody who gets sick because they're a bad person spiritually. So that's what I think. Uh, okay, next one. Tony Cow, what are the differences and similarities between spirits and angels? According to Swedenborg, these are all categories of people. That we're people, we have a spirit. Um, spirits is the term Swedenborg generally refers to um, people who have crossed over into the afterlife but are not yet in heaven and hell. He also sometimes calls people on the outermost level of heaven good spirits. So, but as you progress, your mind opens up, you get higher into heaven, that is what an angel is. It's a person who has been opened, has this love and wisdom flowing through them, has all their spiritual senses activated. So that that's, in Swedenborg's view, the difference between spirits and angels. Great question. Next one. Sophia, is death of the body real? We only know that truth that truth from this side. If the spirit, soul, and body are one, then when we pass over, we still have a body. Is death of the body an illusion? Yes, um... There, there is illusion in it. Um, 
you know, obviously from this side, as you said, it is very real. A body dies. You don't get to see that person anymore. It can hurt a lot. Uh, according to Swedenborg, angels and spirits don't really have a word for death because when they, they only know about uh, the resurrection into that life and, and that that um, the kind of death they think of is actually a, a love of evil, that that's death to them. He says that we do have a spiritual body that's tangible. It's not physical, but it's spiritual, natural, meaning that it's a shape and it's like a body, like you can look at it, it has hands, that kind of thing. He actually does say that the purest physical elements somehow interact, like we take those with us or something like that. I don't know exactly what he means there. But overall, um, you we don't bring our physical body with us, except for in this very, very, um, just a very, very slight version of that. Uh, but you have what he calls a substantial body in the spiritual world, meaning you really are in human form, and actually in a more real human form there than here. So those are a few thoughts on on that. Okay, let's do another one. Gabe, how can you tell if you met your soulmate? How do you know? So that's probably related to our last show where we did a show called Spiritual Marriage, where Swedenborg, he would call it conjugial partner, um, and I don't think you can know. You can't know, uh, just like a lot of things in life, you can't see providence as it is. You can't... Even Swedenborg, I believe, just he had somebody he thought was his soulmate, but he didn't know for sure. They weren't married uh, during his lifetime, but he thought maybe. I don't think we're not privy to higher information like that. We are more like, try to do a good job with what you've got in life, where you have, where you are try to be the best person you can, and trust that God's providence is doing things. Because I think, you know, you find people who meet somebody, and it feels like, wow, this is really great, this is so great, and they get together, and very quickly it turns into a disaster. And there's people who, I don't really feel much, but they get in this relationship, and after time it grows and grows, and you still, we don't know, do they end up together in the afterlife. It's just not... Is not something to worry about. I think, even though that seems like a hard thing to say, really, this is this is a, one of the big high level things that you don't always know. You can't really see providence, as I said, as it's happening. You can only sort of look back and see it. So that's no help, but that that's what I offer. Okay, next one, Megan. So is the solar vibrational aspect that exerts on a simultaneous quantum level in tandem with the body? I, you know, when we we did a show that was equating some parts of quantum mechanics with Swedenborg. We had Ian Thompson, who you saw on that show, on this show, a little clip of him. He was talking about the 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 waveform and the propensity, you know, that, like the double slit experiment where you shot all these, these little uh, electrons and they ended up in two areas. He was talking about how the, the sort of physics behind that mirror Swedenborg's love, wisdom, and use. As far as, like, is any kind of applying quantum mechanics to... Uh, a, a spirit like is it quantum entanglement? I know there's this thing where it seems as though particles can be intertwined with each other, uh, you know, very small particles. Where when one does something, the other one does it immediately. Is that the kind of mechanism that the soul is attached to the body with? I don't know. And Swedenborg, you know, I'd love to go do a. Obviously, he wasn't using any words like quantum, but I'd love to go look into his descriptions of that and see is there anything directly analogous to modern science. But I'm not a physicist, so I don't know. Um, maybe. The answer is maybe. Okay, good, good. I'm doing good. Next one. Antoinette, does Swedenborg say anything about speaking in tongues? There's a... uh, I'm sure he does. 
because there's this passage in the Bible that a lot of people take to mean you know, you get churches where people will just start speaking uh, in, in no language because they're overcome with and speaking in tongues. I bet he has commentary on that passage. I don't. I don't know it. I don't have it on the top of my head. Well, I'm on a roll here, man. I don't know that. Um, so I would assume. I mean, it's correspondential. Everything in the Bible, New Testament and Old, is correspondential. So the speaking in tongues would have to mean something other than just talking, you know, and we were talking here about internal senses, we didn't get to speech, you know, hearing has to do with obeying, so it's something like that, but I'm not going to act like I know the particulars. All right, we're going to do two more, two more masterpieces. Karen Land, so does the spiritual form remain static in the spirit realm, or does it morph according to the spirit's learning? It, I think it grows, I think it grows as we, and it, it certainly changes location. Swedenborg says that our spirit actually moves from community to community based on what we learn and, more importantly, what we love and what we're focusing our attention on and what we set as our goals. That moves things, um, that moves our spirit from community to community. And I would only, I would imagine that as we as we grow and learn, our spirit changes form too. And Swedenborg also talks about there being all kinds of things that affect how your spirit looks. If you had a love of the neighbor, you have this certain beauty about you, and if you had innocence, you can appear in a childlike way at times. So it does seem like things we acquire in life change the spirit, and I would imagine it's working right alongside. Okay, let's do another. Christine, Swedenborg says that evil spirits are what we also call demons. Does Swedenborg state how they can acquire enough power to manipulate things in the physical? Example, demonic hauntings. He really doesn't. He doesn't talk a lot about crossover between physical, spiritual. I mean, he talks a lot about being under attack by demons and them trying to attack parts of his body, but that's through the spirit. You know, he doesn't talk about... um, you know, hauntings like being able to knock a painting off or a picture off of a wall or, you know, things like hearing hearing a spirit around. Swedenborg would say, that's your spiritual ears. You're, you're not hearing that physically. So there's people do report physical kind of things happening. Honestly, I don't, I'd have to do more research, but I, I don't think he has any direct commentary on the spiritual being able to affect the physical. He does talk about the miracles, you know, in the New Testament of the Bible, these miracles that were described. He says that those actually happened, as but it was still within the laws of physics. He says within physical order. So somehow there is a bridge where spiritual things can affect physical things directly. Have, have uh, evil spirits been able to do that? I don't know. That, and that's a great place to end it. I don't know. I hope if you got anything out of this show, or at least out of the questions segment, it's that I don't know. So if you want to hear me not know more things next week, we hope you'll join us. We're going to be talking about the Noah story, Noah's flood. What does it mean from a Swedenborgian perspective? And how is it actually the story of why we can think and feel? We can think one thing and feel another thing. What's that? How's it all wrapped in? Join us next week. We'll take a look. Thanks. Thank you.